0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to ninety nine point nine four, the sound of cricket. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentary. Our shows include Red Inca and Double Century, which are hosted by me, plus shows on the West Indies, England, South Africa, Sri Lanka, and India. You can find them all via our social media at ninety nine point nine four DM, or by searching in your podcast or YouTube places for the name of your team and ninety nine point nine four, where we talk cricket. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 Network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Well, well, well. Uh, Thank you for everyone who's probably just come straight from my last question and answer show on, uh, on on youtube which finished it was supposed to finish hours ago in fact i had this <clears throat> great plan of you know the uh, there were three matches today and we me and charlie would get all our writing done the world cup mood board which if you haven't seen we're doing a show every day from the world cup on my youtube channel like, we'll be fine I, I can manage all this even the late perth game's not going to screw us around as long as pakistan win oh pakistan um The Mr. Bean of cricket teams, apparently, at the moment. Uh, Let's get on to some questions. Uh, Let us. Aditya says, climate change is one of the biggest factors that will affect cricket's future, especially in South Asia, where temperatures are likely to rise to such levels that standing out in the sun for three hours will be impossible. Yet we don't see any discussion at this level, at at, at any level, uh, regarding uh, the subject. So there is a um, a Twitter account, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there is a Twitter account dedicated to cricket and uh, global warming and climate change and all those other things. Um, There's certainly been some some comments about it of recent times. I think maybe Jason Gillespie and some other players. There's been some articles. I think Dan Gallen might have written an article about it. Um, so there actually has been a lot out there, not to mention, I've written about the fact that in South Africa, they believe that the, one of the reasons they started producing spinners is because their pitches have changed because of the earth actually heating up. Uh, now, I have no idea if that's true, but they are—they do have a lot more spinners now, Simon Harmer and Keshev Maharaj and Tabri Shamsi. So there is a bit uh, of it. I, I mean, it is a bit ridiculous seeing this tournament with teams flying everywhere. It is one reason why there is probably a push towards the hybrid wickets as well. Um, Because it would mean that we could play a tournament in one location rather than, you know, the the biggest problem at the moment is that obviously you can only have um, so many usable uh, pitches on a square. And if you play a whole tournament in one location, by the end, uh, the tournament would be ruined. The idea of having those hybrid half turf, half um, synthetic wickets would mean that you'd probably play. Two on the outside for all their early stuff, and then one in the middle. But there are also other ways that they could have um, helped with this. I mean, we're flying everyone all over the country for this particular World Cup, right? Um, It could have been held in a couple of locations. Although I suppose one of those locations would have been Melbourne. You would have played MCG, Docklands, Cadenia Park, and then maybe had some games in Hobart. Um, And then, you know, uh, and then it would have all been washed out except for the games in the Docklands. But uh, from that perspective, yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that there is issues there with the way that cricket is run. Um, It's been talked about quite a bit um, uh, already. uh, I'm surprised you haven't seen more of it, actually, if if it's something that's interesting you. Um, The Guardian's written uh, written a couple of pieces on it and certainly mentioned it uh, quite a bit. But players are starting to mention it, and that's really what will change, you know, it's Very hard as a great writer to keep mentioning it if uh people involved aren't, but some of the boards are doing it. There is a fun fact with that though there is um Aramco, I think that's what they're called, aren't they? The big Saudi company is now uh the richest company on earth. They um they are sponsoring the world cup, um, and, and they're putting up big signs at the ground saying everyone should recycle. I'm not you know, I know I'm good with my numbers, I might get this one slightly wrong, but I think from 1965 till now, Aramco has been involved with about four percent of the world's pollution. Yeah, you know, uh. Good try, Uh, but maybe uh, not quite who the ICC should be partnering with. We've seen Sky do some initiatives with the ECB as well. So people are mentioning it is is the the best way of putting it. Um, But you're right, you know, it's, it's something that is going to affect cricket massively. It could change the game. Um, In two ways, the hybrid pitches and even before that, as you said, and then you've got, you know, people won't be able to stand outside in the sun for three hours. I love how optimistic you are that it'll only be three hours as well. Cameron says, who's the genius who thought playing a World Cup in the rain was a good idea, and how do we ensure they lose all decision-making power? Well, I'm pretty sure that um, Melbourne itself, I don't know about Hobart, um, but I'm pretty sure that Melbourne itself uh, hasn't had this much rain in October for a long time. It's over... I think at this stage it's about two and a half times their, their normal rainfall in October. So to be fair, if you were looking at it, it's not ideal. The reason we have tournaments at this time, traditionally you wouldn't play a World Cup in Australia in October, you would play it probably in what, January, February, March, perhaps. Um, the reason we're doing it is because the schedule is too packed and the only times that are available are generally around October and November. And that's when we're going to play all our ICC tournaments as much as possible outside of the ODIs. Um, and because of that, we've ended up out of season in Australia. That said, I'm not going to blame the organizers for the fact that it's two and a half times more rainy than it normally is in Melbourne. Um, but it is out of season world cup in Australia. You can't get around that. And, you know, uh, sorry, I, by out of season, I should say it's very early, you know, uh, World Cup in Australia. Um, and that is um, certainly um, causing some issues there. Uh, Christopher says, what's your opinion on the crowd so far in the World Cup? They look poor to me, but appreciate they're often big stadiums. Is it because tickets are overpriced or is there not a lot of people wanting to watch games as a neutral? Yeah. Yeah. Cricket and neutrals is not really a thing in Australia. We've never built that culture up. Um, in fact, that's why the old Tri-Series stopped being played because, you know, they were getting played more and more in front of empty crowds. There was a period, I suppose, in the 80s where cricket fans would would turn up to them, but eventually Australia, especially when Australia became the better team, um, that really became the big thing. The more important thing, thing here, though, Christopher, is that Australian cricket fans don't go to cricket in October. It's not a month that people go to the cricket. If you go through... Australian cricket history, it's really been December, January, and February, the actual summer uh, and the heart of summer. Sometimes you can spread that out into early March, uh, depending on the series or, you know, or whatever it may be. But cricket isn't played in in Australia in October. You've got other things going on. Um, It's one thing that Cricket Australia has never managed to do is work out how to get crowds outside and even viewership outside of that height of summer period cricket completely does take over that sort of sporting narrative in that part of, of the year the other nine months it doesn't even uh, you know ashes um, tours to india uh world cups at that time you'd be shocked at some of the viewership figures you get in australia on tv for some of those right have a look when australia has played uh winter series have a look when australia has played teams like south africa out of um, times this is this is normal I, I, i'm i'm you know I suppose it just looks worse to everyone else. I would say this there was a lot of people complaining that um the australia South Africa Australia Sri Lanka game was not sold out. um I think there was twenty thousand people um in that I was shocked it was that high um so it does show you that you know where we come from it's um it's a completely different uh, uh, we're just used to that, I suppose in Australia whereas everyone else wasn't. Also, 20,000 people in a 60,000-seat arena, which I think is what Perth Stadium is, just looks silly, right? Um, There's nothing you can do to get around that. The Australian grounds are really big, but they're not particularly set up for these kinds of events. And it's one reason why England is very good when it comes to the World Cups um, because uh, English cricket fans do come out for neutral games and also because England colonised the whole world. Everyone is, you know, there's already Australians and New Zealanders and Zimbabweans and Indians and... Namibians and – actually, they didn't colonize Namibia, did they? That was a German colony. Anyway, you get my point. Uh, Will says, can we risk playing cricket tournaments with weather as prone to rain in Australia? Lovely, Will. Uh, James says, do you think the statistical model used to derive the constant values in DRS formula is updated often enough to keep pace with the evolution of limited overs cricket? yes but i don't think dls actually does exactly what it probably needs to do i think it was probably invented at a time when um the the main the main problem was in the old rain um, situations was what happened was you'd get a game that would rain and then we didn't know what total would put on to have a good game so DLS was really come about so that we could continue to have the game um, played that's not that's one part of modern cricket but the other part is that since we've started getting all this data and that you know the betting companies are getting smarter and All these companies have win win predictors and all those sorts of things. We actually have a lot more information on cricket games. And I don't think DLS is matching with that. So we know that this team is going to win 70% of the time. I think those sorts of things have to be factored in uh, to what is happening within DLS. And I think that's what people want to do going ahead. But I don't think it's quite there yet. And I think that's the problem. I don't think it's... And you can keep updating it with updated numbers. I don't think that causes uh, as much of a problem as people think it does. The bigger problem is is I think there's a flaw within the system itself in which it wasn't quite set up. It was set up before we knew how to predict uh, who was in front in a cricket game. Uh, Maybe that's the best way of putting it. And they've tweaked it and they've tweaked it and they've tried to make it better. But I think fundamentally we now have a much better idea of who is in front in a cricket game and who is not. And I think that should be brought into the system. And as it currently stands, I don't think there's any big movement for anyone to do that. We had the VJD system. We had DLS. We had DLS. I know there have been some other great people like Vishal Misra who invented ball by ball on Crickinfo and those sorts of people have certainly looked at it. But as far as I'm aware, no one else has actually done anything that has moved the needle with any cricket boards. But there's so much more data out there now. I'd be shocked if someone doesn't come up with a better system, if I'm being honest. Um, If my question though is, will that better system be implemented? Probably not. (laughs) Um, James says, could you share an example of a major shift in your perspective Uh, On cricket based on something that you learned from exposure from cricket people from other countries' cultures. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Australia is, it's not until you leave Australia that you realize how different cricket in Australia is to everywhere else. Um, For good and bad, there's some really good things about Australian cricket. I think it really is played much more like a team sport than a lot of the other countries are. Um, So I certainly think that that is a positive in in Australia's thing. But obviously, it's also played in a you know an aggressive you know nonsense way at times there's lots of good things and bad things I suppose I would say so getting out of that bubble was really interesting um you know I've talked about there's an old podcast actually James uh which I did with Sabash about um traveling to the 2003 World Cup that really changed the way that I realized people thought about Australian cricket and therefore changed the way that I thought about Australian cricket um, but I think I was always a bit of an outsider. Anyway, I don't think there are that many kids in Australia uh, in 1992 whose favourite cricketer was Mushtaq Ahmed. <laughs> so I think partly I can't come from that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, yeah, I think I I, I think I realised that Australian ta- Australian tactics can be a little bit dogmatic. So I think you know you know talking to other people from other cricket um, places allows you to think a little bit more laterally than Australian cricket sometimes does, which it sort of sees something and goes for it, but it doesn't realise, you know, like the two Raptors in um, Jurassic Park, it doesn't realise you can come in from the side. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, but, yeah, I think that 2003 World Cup was certainly a big thing, you know, hanging out with South African and Indian fans specifically um, really does did teach me a lot about um, the way that Australia was seen, but also the way that people looked at cricket outside of that. Um but, yeah, I'm not sure there's anything else. Uh, that's the main one. Um, I think that really is the reason I, you know, that, that had I not made that trip, um, I'm not sure I would have developed into the kind of writer I am today. I think I would have been more of an Australian cricket writer rather than an Australian cricket writer who writes about global cricket. Um, uh, and I, when I look at Australian cricket writers, I still see them in that. Uh, you know they didn't have that early experience in the same way that hasn't shaped them in the same way plus the other big thing for me was because i didn't I, you know my editors were sam baal uzman did uh david hops um you know uh you can throw someone like john norman in uh, as the, the boss at Talksport. these people do you know when you're you, you know when you're sending in copy and whatever you're getting them notes back as a non-you person at any time when an editor. But specifically within Cricket, I'm sending this off and one's like, well, that doesn't make sense because this happened. So, you you know, having those sorts of um, – they're all um, great at what they do. So having the ability to work for those sorts of people and a lot of people are freelance for as well, um, I think really um, had that ability to change it. So I'd probably nail it down to those two. I'm not sure there's anything specifically – um you, you know a, another major shift in my i think by then i'd made perhaps made the most of them the only other thing that i had was probably realizing how m- i didn't realize kind of a couple of times when i've gone to work in cricket it, it just looks more professional from the outside and then when you're in it you do realize it's not really that kind of place <laughs> um so that's probably not about you know um uh, other countries and other cultures. Um, but there, But but then uh, the only other thing I would say is that I think I've been in a really, really, I think people like me and Barra are really lucky to be able to really understand how different c- cricket cultures take up cricket. And because of the places we've worked for and the sort of journeys that we've had as writers, um, and because we've been feature writers, it really does allow us to understand that, you know, Cricket is consumed in a very different way in all these different places. Um, And so I think that is probably another thing that I've come across. I don't know if I've answered that question well. Um, Will says, uh, what's your thoughts on intentionally dropping people, not trying to get players out when they're playing incredibly bad, such as Finch versus Sri Lanka? Have you ever discussed this while working for a team? I've never discussed not trying to get players out, Um, uh, but it is – that I can remember. I might have run the bar, but certainly not as a proper concept because it's one of those things that you kind of have to discuss in the game. Like you wouldn't I don't think you'd ever want to do it before. You know what players probably think you jinx the game anyway, if you did that. But I don't think it's something that you would talk about before. It might be something you talk about as a general concept. And I've never worked with an international team. So there might be an international team who might come across that as a concept. Um, But when you're in franchise cricket, those sorts of deeper level conversations are harder to have. I have had conversations about retiring people out um, before. It's never it's never quite worked the way that, you know, uh, that, that we could do it. But I work with Brad Hodge. He's a big fan on retiring people out. I think he's probably talked about that on commentary before. Um, and I've certainly talked with other people about a similar kind of thing of, you know, uh, I, th- I think I mean, in some ways it was almost I'm trying to think. There was an innings where someone got sick when they were batting and they wanted to bat on, but their strike rate was coming down and they clearly were losing, I don't know, hydration or power or strength, energy, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, we really wanted to retire them out and we had a long chat about it. And I think by the time we decided that we were going to, I think they just went out anyway. Um, the uh, intentionally dropping people thing its really interesting because I remember talking to Kyron Pollard about um, him fumbling the ball on purpose. That's all he did was fumble the ball on purpose. He didn't drop a catch in order to, I think, allow someone to get a second run. And he's done it a few times. Um, He got so much hate over that. I wonder what will happen the first time someone purposely doesn't catch a a fielder and it makes it obvious. Uh, Sorry, catch a batter and makes it obvious. Um, So I don't know uh, how that would go. Uh, It won't be handled well within our sport. I think we can safely say that. Uh, big, th- uh, big thanks to everyone. Uh, on That was on all the Patreon people uh, who asked all their questions there. So remember, they get to ask their questions first. Um, you can subscribe on Patreon. You get ad-free uh, podcasts. You get the podcast earlier than everyone else. You get access to all these other things as well. So go over there and do that if you can. And questions within the room. We've got the always immaculately dressed Vamshi.
0: Hey Jared, how are you doing?
1: Very good. What's your question?
0: Uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for doing all these videos in these spaces. And I can't imagine
1: you're getting into sleep, but thanks. I'm getting no sleep. I can confirm. <laughs>
0: uh, so um, I, I'm not sure if you answered this earlier, but uh, so I started, uh, I joined Twitter a couple of years ago, and then I discovered that there was this whole thing called Cricket Twitter. And as I started interacting with people, I found that my understanding of cricket has changed, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I no longer see myself as a partisan fan. I guess I wanted to ask you when did this change for you? Because clearly, uh, as working as an analyst, you, you're not partisan, and you probably view cricket differently
1: than most other people. And I, oh, I'll, I'll answer this because it's a big answer, and then if you mute yourself, and then you can ask the second part if you'd like. So. It goes back a long way with me. I think there was a lot of nonsense said about Australian cricket that was just clearly false by, sometimes by the written press, but more often by radio and TV. Um, There's a really strong conversation I remember when uh, someone said to Peter Roebuck, "Is Adam Adam Gilchrist is the best batter in the world. And I think this was 98 or 99. And Peter Roebuck's like, we've got Brian Lara, Steve Waugh, we've got, you know, um, Sachin Tendulkar, uh, Raul Dravid, all these players who, you know, had success over this period of time. This guy's been around for five minutes. And I really remember thinking there's a, there's more to cricket. Also, you can take that back further to the fact that I love Pakistan cricket from a very early age, That you know, and they clearly had a big impact on me uh, thinking about cricket outside of Australia. Um, so those things were, I think, quite big. That 2003 World Cup thing that I talked about earlier uh, with James was huge um, for me as well. Um, but I honestly think that I like cricket, um, more than I like Australian cricket. And I think it's almost as simple as that. And that's, I love Australian cricket as well. It just happens to be that for whatever reason, from a very early age, I grew up in a cricket environment. And for me, cricket was the most important thing. And it wasn't Australian cricket at the same point. That doesn't mean I haven't gone to Australia. You know, haven't, I went to that world cup with a Australian flag cape on and, you know, I had Seven, eight, nine. Actually, I didn't have that many Australian shirts when I was young. I had mostly Victorian shirts. I'm probably not partisan when it comes to anything uh, to do with the Victorian team. I'm much better with Victorian players these days than, most, than I used to be. Um, but, yeah, I, so I do think that there's that. Also, I just think that there's, uh, there's probably just an outsider bias to me in general. And so, you know, I see things in a slightly different way than perhaps a, a normal person would, um, I you know. Don't want to get too psychological there, but I'm sure there's that it also plays a part in it. So what was the second part of your question? Thanks for that. Uh the second part was uh
0: how do you find cricket twitter in general? And is there any favorite accounts of yours that you like? Uh, would you mind recommending this?
1: Yeah, um, I was kind of there at the start. I kind of feel like one of the forefathers of cricket twitter, you know, it's people like me and um Ian O'Brien and um, you know Alex Bowden and um, I'm trying to think of some of the other um, you know Sabash, um, you know uh, there was a lot of us you know really early on uh, that were involved in that. And we didn't know what cricket Twitter was, right? We we're just talking amongst ourselves. Mostly we come from the blogs. So if you, everyone I've just mentioned there had a blog, right? So we all came to cricket Twitter and some of us stayed on it and some of us didn't. And, you know IOB doesn't tweet much anymore and Alex doesn't tweet that much um, anymore. Uh, you can find him at the King. King tweets, I think, is his, his um, um, thing. He's still brilliant at what he does. He just doesn't do it as much. Um, Sebastian doesn't tweet much at all, you know. But that, that early sort of 2008, I suppose, when we all went to Twitter. Um, yeah, so it was really early on. Um, you know, Brian might have been one of the first professional athletes in the world on 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 Twitter, <laughs> I, you know. And, and on Twitter, I mean tweeting himself, being a part of the community, not just having an account and, or having it ghostwritten or whatever. Um And so I've seen it grow. I, I remember the first time I realized there was now an Indian cricket Twitter and a Australian cricket Twitter and all these. Like that was really interesting to me because it's a bit like the way that Crick Info grew, interestingly enough, which is it started as the, the whole sport and then it branches off into all the national things, which is different to how kind of cricket works outside of the internet. Um uh, So, yeah, so I certainly – I think those—that's the sort of thing um, uh, that I love. Look, I love—you know—obviously the Crickviz team is great. Uh, there's a lot of really good T20. Um, uh, you know, like Cricket Dave uh, Himanish is obviously great. Uh, uh, you know, a cricketing view upsets people uh, massively, but some of his stuff is absolute genius. Uh, there's um, a, a, a Jonas, who's I forget what his account is called—is uh, it Whiteball something? Um, You know, so there's quite a few of those sorts of people. Charlie Reynolds, who uh, is my co-writer on the the mood board. Uh, I love his Twitter account, um, uh, you know, on cricket. Um, um, Trying to think, I try and, yeah, there's there's this great um, young group of women that are coming through. And I don't want to name them, you know, too many of them individually, but there's heaps of them. Um, There's obviously uh, Shritama is one of them. There's, uh, you know, some in New Zealand and a bunch in England. I find them really interesting because it's the first time I've kind of ever seen the women's voices as a group. You know, you see strong women, even if you go back to the cricket blogging, even if you go back to cricket writing, you know, um, uh, with, uh, you know, some of the great, you know, with Chloe and um, Shada and those sorts of people, but they're actually, so there's a cricket fanzine now um, in the UK. And I think it might be written by people overseas as well. Um, uh, that, that has, um, that is, that has, uh, w- you know, women as, as I think it's called the daisy cutter. I think that's right. Um, and the, the, all these people growing up from all these different things, you know, the final word community, right. And, um, I suppose even the, you know, the community that we've done and, um uh, that we've got uh through through our work as well and hopefully through 99.94 going ahead and all those sorts of things so i do I, I think it's really cool i don't enjoy twitter as much as i used to and part of the reason now is i have too many followers um and so it's hard to tweet without getting 20 reply guys not understanding your joke or you know 50 people being upset with what you've said, um, and. I find it a little bit more tedious than I ever did before. From an information point of view, I still use it. I don't think I use it as much. But certainly from the data perspective, I probably use it. And then, you know, um, there's, there's, you know, uh, Abhishek Mukherjee, who another person, him and Charlie, I, I mean, they're both writers. But in some ways, I did kind of hire them as much as anything based on their Twitter personalities, right, And and who they could be um you know so abhishek works with me on double century and charlie obviously works with me on the mood board um shatama works with us at 99.94 uh you know michelle and Sentoki over at um uh, uh, west indies on 99.04 you know crick, cricket with the um, caribbean cricket podcast you know but i sort of got to know them more through the twitter originally than through um that so i look it would, you know there are a lot of really good interesting people out there tweeting about about stuff and um i'm probably not as good at uh, at finding those sort of people at, at, as mu- as much as i was although through 99.94 i've had to almost go back to that you know and find those sorts of things but yeah i I, fo- I follow a lot of different people um for a lot of different reasons um but i um i certainly i don't think i personally enjoy twitter as much as i once did but i still think that cricket twitter is a good place. And and it's a perfect example of that is the Pakistan Mr. Bean story, right? Where where you've got Pakistan put out a benign tweet right? Some random Zimbabwe person is angry about something that happened eight years ago, or six years ago at the Harare agricultural show. And he puts a tweet on and it just becomes those sorts of things like, um, the Kumar's dad's tweets, which I had, you know, a lot to do with the Majid Huck tweets, you know, uh, you know, what, uh, what's slower than Majid Huck's bowling in the 2015 world cup trots fault, which another one I was, you know, massively involved with, but even the ones I haven't been involved with that root mass comes out of Twitter, right? The high-level sort of stuff, and it can be really nasty and nonsensical and everything as well, but that really high-level stuff where it's almost like stand-up comedy for cricket fans, uh, cricket nerds, I should say. I love that, and I love that it exists. And, you know, And If I was a kid coming through now, I, I would just absolutely love to be in that environment, and I really enjoyed the first few years. Avish um, is obviously another great um, tweeter on, on cricket as well, um, I should throw in there. and There's heaps of them. I've tried to employ him before as well. Uh, for stuff um but there's heaps of them but that those early years i think probably 2008 to 2013 and a lot of this has to do with how cricket twitter grew but also how my personal account grew i really really enjoyed my time there um and it's obviously become a slightly different place now than it was back then um, uh, but uh, you know i still i still chuckle at you know i i love i love when there's um i, I love when there's that sort of spontaneous joke that everyone is sharing at once if you know what i mean and it's not making fun of anyone it's just part of a cricket narrative that's the kind of thing i did with my friends so from that perspective i really still enjoy cricket twitter anyway mate thank you very much for your questions uh no worries oh i don't know who was next now it was ashish ashish you there uh yeah hey, what's your question mate yeah
2: yeah so like uh uh like uh the nuggets uh, like, I watched the NBA basketball run, so, like, I followed the targets as well, and I follow content which TNVR do, like, uh, the, yeah. the thing. So, I was just wondering if uh you know, the 99.94 network, is it partly inspired by what they do, like, how they set up the TNVR network, GEO network, and THNX network, is it? somewhat inspired by that or is this like a complete thing
1: that is a very niche question and uh thank you very much for asking um i love that um uh, no is probably the best answer only because dmvr are doing something slightly different which i have tried to work out would work in cricket and i'm not sure how i would make it work for, so for those who don't know denver nuggets uh is my nba team and ashish's nba team um, and they're three and two as we currently record this. And I think they're going to finish the second or third. Beat the Lakers. What else can we say? Two-time MVP, the Joker, um, probably finished second or third seed uh, without any injuries hopefully this year. Um, uh, and they have they have this network who follows them. And it basically comes out of SB Nation, uh, which is, uh, you know, sort of a, almost a blogging slash podcast video network these days where a guy called Adam Mares, and there's a bunch of other people. It's not just the basketball team, although uh, DMVR is very much the basketball team was a big part of it where they basically set up a bar and first they used to do tailgate parties and they used to do watch along parties and, and all those sorts of things. And eventually they just took over a bar in Denver um, and they have that as, and they record podcasts and videos. Um, they still do tailgate parties. They recently went to Serbia Um, I think they set up tailgate parties for the NFL game in London. The Broncos are playing and all that sort of stuff. It's a really, really good setup. I have actually reached out to Adam Mares, who's one of the main guys on the basketball sides of things and one of the co-founders of DMVR. Um, But we've never had a chance to catch up. He he was very keen to do it, but we haven't had a chance. I'm hugely in awe of what they have to do. I wouldn't say that it has inspired anything to do with 99.94, only because I think there's this... There's this city based around multi-sports and an event, uh, event space to go and watch it. We, uh, that's not what I'm looking at doing with 99.94. 99.94 was more inspired by the fact that when I worked for Crick Info, I realized that, and even before actually I worked for Crick Info, I realized that there were so many people who were so passionate about cricket, but basically only cared about their team, right? And I didn't think they were being catered for by newspapers particularly well, because newspapers write for general audiences, right? And I had this idea, and back in 2011, uh, we almost got it off the ground back then. So a long time, well before I was permanent with Crick Info or anything like that. Um, uh, I had this idea, and we had this guy with money, and we were gonna combine Test Match Sofa Um, Spin Cricket Magazine, and this online entity. And we literally, I was going to go and get the best writers from all the different countries in the world, instantly have 12 writers from 12 different places, um, and base it on this sort of thing, and then bring those people through Test Match Sofa so they could commentate and provide expert analysis. Um, And then we'd also have the magazine so that they could flex their their more um, literary style things at that time. And it fell through. Then I went to Crick Info and I went to Crick Info and I said, I really want to do, you know, this is when I was established with Crick Info. I said, I really want to set up a podcast network. And they kind of did, but they didn't. And the technology wasn't there to be fair to them. And it was hard to do it all together. I think we had a couple of podcasts on um, maybe four or five at most. It didn't quite work. And essentially ESPN said at that time, we don't believe in podcasts. <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, and India ESPN said to me, Indians will never listen to podcasts. Again, quite hilarious. Um, then I suppose the next big thing with 9.994 is going off and, and COVID. And when when the COVID thing happened, I was like, okay, um, and here's a story I don't think I've ever said before, but I was offered a job on the same day with Crick Info and Crick Buzz. Um, uh, literally, they both reached out on the same day asking me to, uh, you know, Crick Buzz. I'd never worked for them before, but they asked if I wanted a job. originally Info originally asked me, offered me a job, and I think it went back to a contract or something like that. Uh, I think that's what it was. And I was sitting there going, okay, I can do that. But I know what, the, I know what Crick Info is going to give me. And it was great. And I love my time there. And, you know, Sambit is still a friend of mine. Usman is still a friend of mine. And, you know, a lot of the writers and the, the producers and everything, right, I'm friends with. But I knew where that was going to go right? And then I looked at Crick Buzz and I talked to Crick Buzz and I said, well, I'm more than happy to come across, but if I'm going to come across, it has to be with podcasts and video and writing. And they were like, "Uh, we just want your writing. And I went, what? It's 2020. And so I just thought there was a better way of doing it. And by that stage, I had sort of had that original idea that I tried to get up in 2011. And I'd had the podcast network with Crick Info And by this stage, the Locked On Network existed in America, which Adam Mares from DMVR is also on. Um, And uh, SB Nation were doing a similar thing. Blue Wire um, podcast were doing a similar thing. And The Athletic had come out. I think my original idea was right. I was just way, way ahead of my time and I hadn't worked out how to make it work. Now I was watching the Americans make my original concept work. And I was like, great. Now what can I do that's better than them? And so, you know, one of the things that we want to do is commentary, obviously. The other thing is the Lockdown Network didn't originally originally do video. I thought that was a massive mistake. Um, in fact, when I saw original investors and I was telling them we were going to do video, they were looking at Lockdown going, well, Lockdown's not doing video. And I said, they will. Um, so I got that one right as well. Um, and, and really being able to see that marketplace, but also to go back to the previous question of being able to see how these different cultures, are, you know, in, in, I get a masterclass in cricket online between 2007 and, and 2013, let's say. Right. So from the time I started my blog until I, I uh, or 2015 really. And I started my blog all the way through to being a full-time worker and a manager at times at Crickinfo, right? An absolute masterclass in how these things worked. And I knew that it wasn't being done correctly. That's not to say that Crick Info or Crickbuzz in their systems are wrong because I, I still think they're going to be very successful, but I knew there was something else missing. And 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 I knew it was team-based and I knew it was multimedia-based, I had all those things available to me and was starting to push t- towards them. And then spending so much time during the bubble, listening to the locked on podcasts. Uh, and I don't just listen to the nuggets ones. Cause I, you know, like some of the other things, but reading the athletic, then even the DMVR, even though it didn't inspire me directly, all those things are really, really interesting. And I just kept grabbing different things. And then, you know, John Norman is a, you know, a huge one as well. Me and John have been talking about this for ages and, My side of it's always been more the video writing, podcasting. His side's been the commentary, but we don't understand why these massively popular games, you can't listen to the radio commentary everywhere, right? So we have been putting, me and John have probably had hours and hours of of conversations about all this sort of stuff, him from his perspective and mine from my perspective, and, you know, we've been putting it together. So DMVR, I think, if anything, I saw that, you know, Adam Mares was calling himself an entrepreneur and he was expanding and everything else. That made me think that that's probably where the future is for me as well. It was actually really hard for me to think of myself as a business person up until very recently, even though I clearly was. Um, And I think that's because I always thought of myself as this pure writer, but it's like, well, that's never going to, I don't, one day I'll probably be offered a big, huge contract to go and work for someone. I mean, the athletic were going to come to cricket. I would have expected an offer from them that probably would have paid me, you know, what I would have wanted to work at. And that would have been the only thing that would have stopped me from creating this network. Outside of that, there were just too many things that have been driving me towards this idea for a very long time. Um, and if anything, you know, Adam Murray's a skill as a broadcaster and as, a, as as a communicator. And then also moving that across to his entrepreneur skills maybe think do you know what that's kind of what i am um and i've kind of always been a bit like that i've just never been particularly good at bringing it all together and you know having someone like vasu come on board and Shankar and the other people at 99.94 um it started to come about but um there you go That hell of a niche question but thank you very much man yeah thanks for answering it and to follow uh, can yeah, thanks for following the nuggets you and everyone else maybe i can get some nuggets followers from all this stuff uh James, you there? Oh, James, you're on mute. I will leave you in for a sec. Oh, there he is. What's your question, mate? I'll just kick you out, James. You can come back in in a second. I think there's something going on with your mutes there. All right. Kyle, you there? Hey, Jared. Hey, mate. What's your question? So uh,
2: I was thinking recently about when probability added. Um, that when I watch T20 broadcast, the only player value stats I see are impact numbers or fancy points, which are just sort of random I don't know the scale. I don't know what the, you know, what it's based off of. They kind of are meaningless stats to make. It's 160s or 140. Um, and as you know, baseball bases, it's player value stats off the idea of a replacement level player, which I don't yeah. think works well in cricket. Um, but in a finite game, I think a WPA stat where every ball face, the ball bold has a value added to a team's, you know, uh, win score that can be tracked on WinViz It'd be really useful. You think, You know, broadcasters might start using those stats more. Think
1: there's something that could be gained from the average viewer, or is there a reason that they're not being used? They're not being used because the people involved don't really understand any of this, and they're just getting to the others. I mean, you still got broadcasters putting up the the Basra, the batting average bus strike rate, which no one who does cricket analysis thinks anything of. Um, uh, So they're a bit behind that one that you talked about that was actually told to me a very long time ago by a key person within cricket, uh, in the administration side of things. And the, th- the reason that we thought at the time it wouldn't work is because we didn't think the match predictor models were good enough, but even on a basic level, I think that makes sense. Um, and, you know, after every ball, uh, you, you know, is your team more likely to win or less likely to win? Right. Um, so I do think that might be something going ahead. I think a bigger picture stuff that, that that in some ways that's already happening, but I'm not sure if it's happening on that micro ball by ball um, system at the moment. But I reckon my friend told me that five or six years ago, and me and him have been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, it's something that if I ever get my own proper analysis team behind me, um, I think that's certainly, and I know who I want to use for that. This company called Intelligent Cricket who I've been talking to. Um, I'd really like to, um, I'd do something like that with them, but I'd need to obviously pay them and have them on board and and, and do them properly. But I think you're right. But I think there's heaps of things that we could use, um, out there, you know, by this stage, um, we should be using true economy and i don't just say that cuz i invented it and i'm really proud of it but we should be using it because actual economy rate means nothing <laughs> are you a positive or a negative for the overshoe bowl is all is the only thing that matters and there's a bunch of little things like that and as you said you know the impact metrics i, I think there are ways of doing it as positive strike you know a, a, a positive or negative strike rate and, and positive or negative economy so true strike rate true economy all those sorts of things which we have an ability to be able to do, um, uh, which we're not doing yet. I think part of the problem is that, you know, the impact metrics, you have a look at Crick Info's ones and some of the other ones that, you know, CrickViz do and everything. It kind of makes it look ridiculous when one player is worth like 80 in a game. And I do think that hurts the, the brains of the old players' heads a little bit. Um, but uh, yes, I think we'll get towards it. It's really where we go from here. Do we follow the American market uh, model of sort of separating it a little bit? Um, do we, you know, go into the sort of you know more uh, football model um, of the way that they use the advanced stats? That's really interesting because in some ways, cricket fans are actually used to having advanced information on their on their screen. Even it, the wagon wheel is like 250 years old, right? <laughs> like not not this podcast, I should say. But the actual, you know, someone drawing the, where the batter hits the ball. We're used to some a lot of advanced information on the screen. Uh, but it's that finding that balance of whether you need split commentaries and everything else. Um, but yes, I think they're getting better. Um, but we're still a long way behind where we should be.
2: Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I think the win probability is such an easy thing to for anyone to wrap their head around it to me explain in like fifteen seconds. So
1: I would think so. Yeah, I, I think I think that's one that certainly we can have a look at. Um, uh, um, I, I, it's something that I'd really like to look at. That no, makes sense. But uh, thanks for your for your question, mate. Wait, James might have put written his down. Oh no, He's, even his poor James, even his um, question is empty. Uh, but James, if you want to come back in the group? I'll chat to you again. Basque, are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So, what? Hi, hey, May. Hey, so, I wanted to ask about like, we have talked about how chasing teams have a huge advantage in T20, right? But in this World Cup, what we are seeing is that a uh, lot of teams are like, kind of floundering in the chase during close games. I think uh, Netherlands lost by five runs, and then England, and then today, Pakistan. So, my hypothesis is that uh, because of the bigger Australian grounds, uh, I think in the end, they are overestimating how much they can score. And therefore, they are kind of missing it. Obviously, they're doing a wicket in the middle or last time over the last 5 overall. But what, what do you think is, like, uh, uh, besides the pitches and all that, why is the cheering team not winning that much as before in, like in Asia and other countries?
1: Yeah, but remember, though, that when we talk about that, it's only, like, 55% of the time, which in a two-horse race is massive and they should look at, but you know what I mean? It's like, I think people think it's like the chasing team wins 80% of the time or something, right? It's, it's nowhere near the amount that people think. Um, uh, Yeah. I I mean, the the bigger grounds could be a part of it. I think it's probably more to do with the pitches so far though, because the bowlers have been on top, right? So if you're saving it to the end, you've probably lost extra wickets. Um, And then when you try and hit, look at Dawood Milan, look at Sean Massoud, um, look at Aaron Finch. These are set good players who, you know, can hit the ball, and none of them had the ability to be able to do that. Um, and so I do think that that is playing a big part as well. Uh, having the bigger grounds is also an issue, right? You can't just muscle a couple over. You really have to hit the ball consistently well, and that makes it a little bit different to other uh, other forms of T20 cricket. So I think that plays a part, but I really think if the pitches were flat, I'd have to go back and have a look at the big bash, but I, I don't think um, – I think the home, the, the chasing team still wins more in the big bash than anywhere else. So I do think this is probably more early season wickets and p- perhaps my old friend, the reinforced Kookaburra scene. So do you think
3: the teams will change a bit of strategy in terms of how, they go? because now with the the steam, you cannot go hard in the power play and then it becomes tougher at the end. So how do ch- chasing teams strategize to to have a better success? or you just
1: bat first. No, no, I definitely I think teams will change a lot during this World Cup. I think um I think I'll not forget just the, the batting first and, and the chasing and all that sort of stuff. I think we'll, you know, Steve Smith might come into the Australian team because of the kind of pitches we've seen so far. Um I think that batting skills are going to be more important. Potentially you might get more seam bowler um, more seam part-timers bowling. You might even get more seamers into the side. Um we might see the return of pinch hitters at the moment because you don't want to lose your your batting stocks in the middle order. You might want to do that. So I think there could be a bunch of different um, changes in this World Cup. Having said all that, if it it suddenly gets hot in Australia and the sun comes out again, maybe you won't have to make all those changes. William,
2: you there? Hey, uh, um, I just wanted to ask ask, because I've been really enjoying um, your latest series of Double Century and Also it's like the exact the episode length was like the exact way of my commute, which is quite fun. Um, but of all the teams covered, who was like the most unlucky, do you think, to have not got full membership? And like if it's different, who do you like
1: like personally wish had got full membership? Who do I think is more most unlucky is Argentina. I think Argentina would without doubt as good as New Zealand, probably better than New Zealand, and not far off where India was at the same stage. And um I think it's ridiculous that there was the, uh, you know, that there was a rule that only Commonwealth teams could get in. And so Argentina didn't make it. Uh, So I think they were the the most stiffed, I suppose. Um, I think the one that's saddest for me is Denmark. Um, Just because that's, they made it as professional cricketers. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of other cricketers, the the Fijian ones and and other places where you just like, well, these are really good cricketers, but, there are amateur cricketers who did well. Um, the Denmark cricketers, to be able to force their way into county cricket in an era where that probably wasn't particularly that keen, and then to be so successful um, with so many different players over the space of, what, 10, 15 years, 20 years even probably. Um, it just feels like a real missed opportunity for cricket to not get involved in in, in Denmark and really spread the game there. There was clearly... You, you could make a really strong argument that Denmark was moving in a better direction than Danish cricket was. That's Danish, Dutch cricket was, sorry. Um, and I really, you know, you'd have another strong European team, um, you know, even if they were only, even if they only got to the level of Ireland and Scotland and the Netherlands, that's still huge. Um, uh, so I think that one really, really hurt me. Um, uh because it was also it was something I didn't know that much about and it, and what bothers me about it is that England fans of a certain age knew about all this and not only did they not really talk it up nothing was done within English cricket to really go well wait a minute these guys are creating should we go over and get more county cricketers should we push the game forward there you know all these sorts of things it just felt like it just was left to 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 disappear i suppose on an emotional level, just because I know some of the people involved and because they were one of my favorite teams, you know, the Kenya one is, you know, uh, maybe the one that, that, uh, bothered me, um, myself, you know, rather than, um, as a cricket writer, but as just Jared Kimber, the human, you know, who, you know, loved, you know, 96 up, uh, upset and then the 2003 incredible tournament, you know, meet, you know, meeting Asif Karim and, and becoming friends with him, knowing some of the other people involved with Kenyan cricket, um, you know, recently I'll, I'll tell you a story which might come into the Kenyan episode. I'm not sure. But uh, I was coming back from Edge and I had this taxi driver. He's like, Oh, you, you're a cricket fan? I said, Well, actually, I was working there today, just going home. And he said, Oh, okay. What do you do? And I said, I write in cricket. And then, and, and he said, Oh, well, I used to play cricket for Kenya. I'm like, What? And he said, Yeah. And, and, and to, to prove it, he then WhatsApped. Um, Asif Karim, and we had to have a really awkward conversation where it clearly woke Asif Karim up, I think. Um, uh, but you just like it, we're talking about players, and, and that happens all around the world with cricket. Don't get me wrong, players go off into other jobs. But it, it did it just reminded me that what the difference is between, you know, making it as a test playing nation and not. Um, and this guy was a really good cricketer. He was a really good cricketer, I think, in the two thousands, as Kenyan cricket was dying. Um, and um, couldn't make a career off it, you know, It wasn't really worth his while stinking around and, you know, moved to the UK and ends up as a taxi or an Uber driver or whatever he was. So, um, yeah, those are probably the three. Argentina, I think, are the best team. Dan- Denmark just seems like such a missed opportunity and Kenya just because, um, uh, you know, I grew up loving Kenyan cricket. Thanks, William. And thank you for Double Century, If those who haven't listened to it. It really is. It, it's such a fun show to be able to do. Um, we've got, I think, we've got a few more episodes in this season coming up. Um, it, uh, by, in Namibia is tomorrow. Uh, great, great little story. But the next season is a cracker as well. Uh, you know, me and Abhishek are really um, pushing through. And, you know, it's for us, it's almost a dream project. So please listen, share, and do everything else. Anish! You there? Yeah, hi, can you hear me? I can, what's your question, mate? Yeah, you know, just like a follow-up on an earlier question where
0: you were talking about potential changes teams would make in, you know, upcoming matches. So I wanted to ask because for lack of a better term, teams in D20s have their own, you know, philosophy for the way they approach batting or bowling, And in a knockout tournament, when do you think a team should, you know, make a change based on the results? Or or, you know, when they should, you know, add on the caution of variance or regression things, you know, bound to go up in.
1: Yeah, it's tough because a lot of the grounds we're playing on now, a lot of the cricket hasn't gone in them, right? So if you're making a decision at the moment to change whether you bat first or bowl first, are you doing it based on games in Hobart and you're now in Perth, right? And so I would say that I would never... It's a bit different perhaps if all the games are in the UAE and, and and Oman where the pitches are all fairly similar anyway and all the games are being played in just a couple of grounds. I think when you are playing, uh, when you have more varied surfaces in a World Cup like we have in Australia, I'd be more wary of doing that. But I do think that that's a re- I think that is a problem with tournament play is that a lot of teams um, – uh, have a way of playing and then they get into the tournament and of course things don't really fit that way so my theory has always been that especially when you're when you're playing you should you should always kind of you should try and gerrymander it as much as possible so that you are batting first and um, bowling first almost as many times as each other in your warm-ups right um so that no, however you have to do that even if it goes against the grain of a particular team because when you do get to tournament play you want your team to be really good at both and i do think there are some teams who work really well in one particular way afghanistan's a really good example of that um of which it's just like well that's not how the world cup's gonna go guys (laughs) Um, it's it's not gonna happen that way so you're gonna have to think about this and do something slightly different And and i have seen a few teams in in that kind of thing so i do think that you really do want it. You want everyone to know their role. You know everyone want everyone to know their position. You want everyone to be comfortable, whether you're batting first, bowling first, all those sorts of things. And I do wonder if the way that cricket is set up, if that actually, if, if that is uh, something that teams actually uh, are ready to do, if that makes sense. Okay, uh, you know, j- just just a
0: follow up on this because one team that comes up to mind is you know Australia last year where last worker Betty had they had three changes for three different games after being hammered by England. Do you think that was them being you know, more pro, pro, proactive or just them running around scared, trying to figure out, okay, how do we salvage the position we're in right
1: now? The second one. I had no idea what they were doing. Mitchell Marsh, it, Mitchell Marsh made runs for them in the West Indies because no one else played in that series. They weren't really expecting to take him to the World Cup. Then they got there. Then they dropped him in the World Cup and he ended up making runs um, and winning them the World Cup, right? And They had no idea what they were doing. Behind the scenes, they're very honest about that. I find it funny when I saw someone tweeting, a summer stream um, uh, writer the other day tweeting, oh, they should bring Justin Langer back. And it's like, Justin Langer didn't know what he was doing. It just They just won the World Cup. And, and, and the tournament can be that random and the toss and everything else. So I think with all those sorts of things, um, You know, you do need a degree of flexibility. You do need to think about match-ups. Uh, Unless you are just absolutely the best team in cricket, I don't think you can just play the same eleven every game. Uh, Right across cricket, I don't think that's ever been the case. The West Indies change their team all the time, right? Uh, And Australia change their team all the time. So we know that that is a part of the game and and so that you always have to keep that flexibility in. Uh, But in Australia's particular case, yeah, that was uh, more random. Uh, Thanks for your question, Anish. Try and get. Um, uh, Alan says uh, teams boards such as Zimbabwe and Ireland making noticeable financial benefits from progressing to the second round. I think there is. I, I can't remember. I don't think it's noticeable. I don't think I'm trying to think of how it works. Um, it does work with sponsors and everything though. The more games you play and all that sort of stuff in a World Cup. Um, but I can't remember how all that works. But it's not like Zimbabwe making the second round doesn't change their financial future. If that's what you're asking, Alan. And James says, who is the least technically gifted cricketer to be playing cricket at this time? Technically gifted. I mean, you're probably then looking at like a fast bowler who doesn't have a very strong front arm or something like that. Um, Those are the, you know, if you're a tall fast bowler, tall fast left arm bowler would be probably should be one of the least gifted technically because they have such an advantage over everyone else. So uh, that's one reason I love Rahat Ali. Technically, I don't think he was a very skillful bowler, but he was playing international cricket because he was reasonably tall, reasonably fast and left arm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone specifically out there like that at the moment and no one comes to mind, but that's really what you're looking at uh, is he's going to be a left-handed player because left-handed players are generally less skillful than right-handed players, but they have such an advantage they still build a career. You're probably looking at someone who's probably naturally tall and naturally fast um and therefore has an advantage. But I can't think of I can't think of anyone specifically. But you know, I always go back to the left-handed thing, James, um, when you ask that question of uh, why do so few left-arm bowlers bowl the Dusra or the Karen ball and all those other th- sorts of things, you know. Um it, why do so few left-arm bowlers, can they bowl around the wicket? And, um, you know, do they not bowl as many good deliveries and that sort of thing? And it's because their big advantage is already being left-handed, right? Whereas right-armers have to keep looking for an advantage. Um, and, and And it's the same with left-handed batters as well. Um, so it would be someone like that, but I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but Rahat Ali is always one that comes to mind, um, from that perspective. Um, but yeah, tall fast bowlers, just in general, if you can bowl 80 miles an hour and you're over six foot six, you know, very big chance of making it. And you might not have that many discernible skills, but geez, you've already got two that sort of combine. And so technically you might be all over the place with your wrist and everything else. People have still got to play you. Um, and that becomes tricky anyway. Huge thanks to everyone in the uh, room, room here today. Um, big thanks to everyone who's listening to the podcast or watching it on YouTube. Remember, every day of the World Cup, we're doing the World Cup uh, mood board on YouTube. Uh, we've got all the new podcasts. Even on my show, we've got Barrett. Obviously, we have now Double Century as well. You can listen to those two. Uh, Barrett comes through this feed. Double Century is on its own feed. So Double Century, uh, on, wherever you find your your podcasts. It's not on YouTube, so you have to listen to it. Uh, we will try and do something about that eventually, but they're not the most... Uh, 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 what's the best way of putting it Them, not the most visual mediums uh, the way that we put them together um, uh, but also 99.94 the Mitch Johnson podcast is out uh, he'll have one episode so another one comes out on Monday um, and Australia on 99.94 with Barrett and Mel uh, somehow Barrett is on almost as many podcasts as I am on 99.94 and who saw that coming anyway huge thanks to everyone in the room again today and for all your questions and I'll see you again next time <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kinds of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week, and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, orijoti senapiya producing podcasts Meda akam producing some of the shows and makanda Banreddy as the head of youtube content